We want to be rich in doing good to bless this community. While many churches are known for what they're against, we want to be known for what we're for. And we're for Arlington. We are for Jacksonville. We are for hurting and needy people. Even if you don't believe like we believe, we are still for you and we want to help. And we're asking people to be rich in three ways. Be rich in money, giving away, and being generous to share. And that's why we're asking you to give to her song. We also want to be rich in time, in our service, in helping other people. So inside of your worship folder, you'll read more about how you can partner with us next Sunday after the morning services. We're going to go over at 1 p.m. to Mayport Elementary School. That's our local nonprofit partner here with our school system. And we've been serving Mayport Elementary School for years now. And we're going to have a work day. We're going to go over there Sunday at 1 p.m. and on November the 11th. And we're going to pressure wash sidewalks, pull weeds, put out mulch, plant some flowers. So that when those boys and girls and those families show up on Monday, they're just going to be surprised. And they're going to be blessed. And that's a simple way that your whole family can get involved. In fact, if you will, go to fcbc.life today and sign up to go and help us at the workday. Because if you'll let us know, we're going to feed you hamburgers and hot dogs and potato chips and water. And uh, so we hope you will come. But let us know that you're coming so that we can be prepared for you. And then uh, you can read more about how we're going to be generous with food as well. I won't talk about that today. We'll talk about that next Sunday. But we're going to ask you to do two things. One is we're going to make 200 Thanksgiving boxes available for you to take one, give it to anybody you want to, to just bless them this Thanksgiving. And uh, and so we're going to have those on November the 18th. And the other thing, we're going to ask you to bring a little food uh, on that same Sunday, and we're going to give that to our local uh, food bank called Arlington Community Services. They've given us a list It's in your bulletin about what they need to fill their shelves for Thanksgiving. And so you're going to be bringing food, and we're going to hope you take home some foods and give it away. And let's bless this community in that way as well. Well, today we're talking about money, but we want to talk about a message I'm calling side effects. You see, we discovered last Sunday that the majority of us who live in America, compared to the rest of the world, we are rich. In fact, compared to the people of the first century, that the Apostle Paul was writing to when he wrote a letter to a young preacher named Timothy. And that's where we're going to be today in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 and following. That compared to the people of the first century, we are absolutely rich. Can you imagine if someone from the first century could come to our church service today and to see how we live and how we dress and how we drive and fly and the technology that we have and the food that we have and the clothing stores and it would blow their mind. And they would say, listen, if this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 was for us, it is certainly for you Christians in the 21st century. But you know, many of us in America suffer from some side effects. And uh, part of the problem is the richer we get, the less we actually give to charitable causes. It is a proven fact that the more Americans earn, the less they give to charity. And that's sad. Now, often the more people make, the bigger the amount is. But when you look at it as a percentage of their income, it is actually decreasing the richer they get. And and maybe we ought to just pray that people don't get richer, they get poorer. Because as they get poorer, they become more generous. Some of the most generous people in America are people who don't have very much themselves, but they're willing to share it with other people. But no, rather than praying that people become less rich, we are going to help learn how to be rich. 
that God, as you bless us, we want to be found willing to bless others with how you have helped us. And so that's what this campaign is all about. And we're talking about how wealth has side effects. And one of the side effects of, of having wealth is that often rich people live in denial. Rich people live in denial. Now, you can get a tall person to admit, I'm a tall person. You can get an athletic person to admit, I'm athletic. You can get a, a person who's a sports fan to admit they cheer for that sports team. But often when you say, are you rich? No, I'm not rich. Who's rich? That guy is rich. It's, I'm, I'm not rich, but I know someone who is rich. Often we don't have the ability to see ourselves as rich because of two things. We don't know when it happened. When did I become rich? I've got bills. I've got obligations. And we don't see ourselves as rich. And another reason we don't feel rich is because the definition is a moving target. A Gallup organization studied Americans and asked, how would you define rich? What, what amount of money would you have to earn to feel rich? And the majority of Americans said $150,000. However, if you talk to someone making $30,000 a year, Gallup discovered they said, I would be rich if I made $70,000. So it's a moving target. It depends on who you ask, and it depends on who you're looking at. If you're looking at people that have more than you, typically you don't feel rich. But if you'll consider the fact that if you make $40,000 a year, you are in the top 4% of wage earners in America. You are in the top 4% of wage earners in the world. And if you make $48,000 or more a year, you're in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. That's amazing to me. So compared to the majority of the world, we are rich. When you go with us to Haiti, we are rich. When you go with us to Ecuador or to Brazil or Bolivia in the jungle, you discover we are rich. But often there's a side effect to being rich, and that is we just don't like to admit it. We don't like to admit, you know what, I really am blessed. I wish I had more. I don't have as much as they do, but I'm still blessed compared to many people in the world. Another side effect of having wealth is rich people are plagued with discontentment. Does it not blow your mind to see that a good number of people who win the lottery go bankrupt within five years after winning? Like, how did that happen? I mean, that doesn't make sense. If, if you're the average American, you're thinking, you know, just $10,000 would change my life. You know, just 50000 would change my life. And these people are making millions, and then five years later, they're bankrupt. And the problem is they have a spirit of discontentment. I'm not happy with what I have. I need something more. I'm not happy with what I have. I need something newer. I'm not happy with what I have. I need something bigger. And we start living beyond our means. That's why sometimes it just surprises me that these movie stars are making hundreds of millions of dollars a year and then they go bankrupt. That just doesn't make sense. It's because they are discontent. They're not satisfied with what they have and they're living beyond their means. Rich people are plagued with discontentment. And Paul would say to this preacher named Timothy that we're about to read about, he would say, if you're rich, you're at risk. Timothy, you need to tell people in your congregation, if you are rich, you're at risk. You're at risk beyond just not feeling it and not wanting to admit it, and you're at risk beyond just being filled with a spirit of discontentment. You're at risk because there's more to this than just your money this also is an indication of your relationship with God. How you view your money and use your money is a reflection on how you view God. 
And so the Apostle Paul is saying, if you're rich, you're at risk. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. We, we started reading this last Sunday. We're just going to camp out here uh, for the next couple of weeks. But in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, Paul, writing to that young preacher Timothy, his protege, Timothy's now a pastor of a congregation, he says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them, command them, exhort them, challenge them not to be... And then he could have said anything. But how did Paul fill in the blank for Timothy? As for the people who have the things of this world, who are rich in the things of this present life, charge them not to be haughty. Literally, teach them not to be prideful. Teach them not to have this spirit of arrogance. Now that's important because sometimes the more we get, the more we feel superior to people who don't have what we have. You know how it is when you drive up, you pull up to a red light, you look over at the car next to you, you're immediately thinking, dude, i got to trade up. Because you don't like your car and you envy theirs. Or you pull up and you look at theirs and you think, oh yeah, at least I'm not driving that. And we start feeling superior to people who don't have what we have. Or they don't live in the same community. Or they didn't go to the same school. Or they don't have as much money. Or they don't wear the right kind of clothing. And if we're not careful, we can start feeling like we're better than people by the stuff that we have. And he tells Timothy to warn people who have a lot of things in this world not to be haughty because you can also forget that everything you have comes from God. That everything you have in this life comes from God and it's tempting to forget God when life is good. It's tempting for me to forget to thank God when I have a lot of things. I only pray whenever I need something. But then when everything's fine, I forget God. Stop going to church. Stop reading my Bible. Stop praising God. Stop thanking Him for everything I have. And, and Paul says to Timothy, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. He says you better not put your hope, your, your desire for your future all of your dreams and ambitions in the uncertainty of riches because those things can be here today and gone tomorrow. Our funds are notoriously fickle. The stock market giveth and the stock market taketh away. You could be happy in the home that you built and it's finally your dream home and then one hurricane come and wipe it all away. You can buy all of your prized possessions and have your trophy room set up with all of your expensive whatnots and one week you're on vacation, someone breaks in your home and steals your stuff. One moment you can have those things and the next moment they could be gone. And if your hope is in that, what happens when you lose your stuff? If your hope is in stuff and you lose your stuff, now you're hopeless. And that's a sad place to be that I'm hopeless because I don't have my stuff. And he says, no, don't trust in those things. The writer of Proverbs said something similar in Proverbs 18, verse 11. He said, the rich think of their wealth as a strong defense. They imagine it to be a high wall of safety. But Paul says to Timothy, no, teach people who are rich in the things of this world. Don't put your hope in the uncertainty of riches. That's dangerous. So what are we to do? 
Continues in verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Your hope, my hope, is to be set on God and God alone. Here's the danger. Wealth can become a substitute for God. That's a danger. That's why Paul says to Timothy, Hey, warn rich people, they're at risk. And the greatest risk of having the things of this world go beyond just being discontented or not really feeling rich. The greatest risk that we all face is to substitute wealth for God. To put my hope in God. My stuff can become a substitute for my Savior. My money can be a substitute for my maker. My cash can become a substitute for my creator. My loot can become a substitute for my Lord. Don't make me keep going. You get the point. We start depending on the things of God rather than God. We put our hope in the provisions of God rather than the God who is our provider. Wealth can become a substitute for God. Jesus warned us about the same thing. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He said, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. He says you can't love God and love money. It just doesn't work that way. You're going to have to choose Who's most important? Who has your allegiance? Who has your hope? Who has your loyalty? And he says, only God is worthy. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, be careful to tell rich people not to be haughty and not to hope in the uncertainty of riches, but to hope in God. Now, how do I know if my hope is in God or if my hope is in Gold. How do I know if wealth has become a substitute for God? Well, which of these two statements creates the most anxiety in you? Which of these two statements I'm about to make, if they were true about you, would scare you the most? These aren't hypotheticals. Imagine this is real. Which one of these would scare you the most? The first statement, there is no God. Second statement, you have no money. Which one of those statements fills you with anxiety? For many Americans, the statement that would fill them with the most anxiety is, you have no money. Your 401k wiped out by the latest downturn. Your job has disappeared because of the mismanagement of corporate All those things you've saved and scraped for have been stolen by a robber. Every human possession you own has been wiped out by a storm. You have nothing. And for many of us, that would fill us with anxiety. But for some people, it wouldn't fill them with anxiety to hear there is no God. And that's the problem. The statement there is no God will never be true. The statement, you have no money, may one day be true. But as long as God lives, you have hope. As long as God is still on the throne, your best days are not behind you. They're ahead of you. As long as God is still alive, 
You can face the uncertainty of this life. You can rebuild. You can start over as long as God lives. We sang it this morning in that first service. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. But if there's no God, I have no hope. And the things of this world can be taken from me. Paul continues, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Why? Why should you put your hope in God? Because He is the one who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. He is the source of everything you need. He's the source of the very life that you now enjoy. Put your hand on your chest, and if you feel that heart beating, thank God. It's a gift from Him. If you do that and you don't feel it, please let us know. We've got a defibrillator at the back. (laughs) One of our safety team members will be happy to assist you. If you're breathing in air, let me tell you something. That is a gift from God. If you have anything that is good in this life, whether it's physical or relational or financial or spiritual, anything good in this life, look at it. And with the eyes of faith, you will see stamped on it. Made by God. He's the one who gave it to you. He's the giver of every good gift. And I love it that Paul is wanting to clarify to Timothy, God is not opposed to riches. God is not opposed to you being ambitious. God is not opposed to you saving your money and working hard and trying to better yourself. God's not opposed to you having nice things. Rich people are not the enemy. The problem that... Paul is warning Timothy about is putting your hope in the things of God rather than God himself. God gives you everything. He wants you to enjoy it. You got money? Enjoy it. You got a house? Enjoy it. You got a bass boat? Call me. You you, (laughs) you know, you you got the things of this life? That's awesome. Don't feel guilty about that. And don't let anybody else make you feel guilty about that. God gave you what he gave you to enjoy it. But never forget where it comes from. It came from God. In fact, it was the brother of Jesus, James, who said in James chapter 1, verse 17, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Just every good thing you have in life came down from God, your Father, who loves you and who is providing for you. And James, or Paul says to Timothy, teach rich people, put your trust in him. In fact, I think, this is what, I think this is what Paul would say to Timothy. Timothy, tell this to your congregation. I will put my trust not in riches, but in him who richly provides. In fact, let's put that on the screen. I want you to say this out loud with me. I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides Say it again like you mean it. I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. That's the bottom line. You say, why didn't you just say that, Ricky, at the beginning and just saved all this time? Because I get paid by the word, you know. (laughs) And if I cut my messages short, you guys are going to dock my pay. But don't you think that's what Paul's trying to say to Timothy? Tell your congregation, 
Make a declaration. Make a decision. Make a commitment. Say to yourself, I will not trust in riches, but in Him who richly provides. And can I tell you what that statement does for you? Man, that changes you. If you sincerely make that commitment, it changes you. You'll become more grateful than you've ever been in your life. As you approach this Thanksgiving season, you will be able to say, I don't trust in riches, I trust in Him who richly provides. God, thank you for everything you've given me. Thank you for my life. Thank you for my health. Thank you for my family and friends. Thank you for this great country in which we live. Thank you for my church. Thank you for the Word of God. You give me everything and you richly provide for me. You become more grateful. And if that becomes a reality, you become more generous. When you trust in a God who richly provides, you can give away a little of what you got now, knowing he's still the God who richly provides, and he never changes, and you can't outgive him. And now, rather than being tight-fisted, you become open-handed. And this is what you start saying, God, because you're the one who richly provides, and you've been so generous with me, I want to thank you, and I want you to be generous through me, not just to me. God, this is all your stuff. God, what do you want me to do with your stuff today? God, this is your money. What do you want me to do with this money that you've provided for me? How much do you want me to keep for me? How much do you want me to keep for my family? What do you want me to give to your church? How do you want me to give to this offering? How do you want me to help this local nonprofit? How do you want me to build this house? How do you want me to help those hungry children? God, it's your stuff. Would you tell me what you want me to do with your stuff? Because I trust not in riches, but in you who richly provides You become grateful and you become open-handed and generous when you realize your trust is in him who richly provides. And can we all admit today that we become more like him when we become generous and when we give? Anybody been here long? Can, Can someone here tell me what your pastor's favorite verse in the Bible is? John 3, 16, Casey knew it. I don't know what you get, but uh, you, you got that right. I'm going to hug you right after the service, so you get that right. John 3, 16, and what does it say? It says, say it with me. For God so loved the world that he... You can't be like God and be stingy. God loved the world in this way. He gave. And what did he give? He gave his only begotten son. Say it with me, kids. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God is so generous that his love just poured out in that gift of Jesus, his one and only son. And he, Jesus, went to a cross and died for the punishment of our sin so that God could be both holy and righteous and punish sin and be forgiving and merciful and let us go free. And that's a free gift. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to pay for it. In fact, no amount of money you put in any church's offering plate and no amount of good deeds you ever do in this life will merit one moment out of hell and one moment in heaven. You're not saved by your good works. You're only saved by the good and finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross and the empty tomb. And when you put your faith in Jesus, you get forgiveness as a gift Salvation is a gift for guilty people. It is not a reward for righteous people. But while we're not saved by good works, according to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, we are saved for 
good works. We're to do some things with this newfound love and this newfound relationship with a giving, generous God. And we're to be more like Him. Can you imagine how this world would be different if we were more like our God? Loving the unlovely. Forgiving those who have hurt us. Helping the needy and the downtrodden. It would transform our world. I can't speak for you. You can't speak for me. But before God, I pray that he sees each one of us making this commitment. God, I will not trust in riches. I will trust in you who richly provides. I want to be grateful to you. And I want to be generous with others. Because you've been so generous with me. You gave me the greatest gift that could ever be given. You gave me salvation through Jesus, your son. And maybe this morning, for the first time in your life, you realize you need Jesus as your Savior. I'm not asking you if you're a, Christ, a Baptist. I'm not asking you if you're a Catholic. I'm not asking you if you're a Buddhist or an atheist. I'm asking, has there ever been a time where you said, I admit I'm a sinner? I know I've not lived up to God's standards. I had not even lived up to my own standards of right and wrong. I'm a sinner. I admit it. And I believe that Jesus is God's Son, proven by how He lived how he died, and proven by how he rose from the dead on the third day. And I confess my sin, and I confess I'm trusting in him and him alone. Friend, today, if you need to receive Jesus as your Savior, do it right now where you sit. You need to turn from your sin, put your faith in him and him alone. And the wonderful news of John 3.16 is you will not perish in your sin, eternally separated from God, but you'll have everlasting life. You'll have a right relationship with God now and for eternity, all because of what Jesus did for you. In fact, if you'll do that today or if you'd like some more help in making that decision, as soon as the service is over and your legs straighten up, I want you to make your way to what is your next step area right here at the back of our auditorium. There will be people there waiting to help you. Maybe you've already done that, but you need to get baptized like Mariah did. Maybe you need to go public with your faith in a crucified, buried, and resurrected Jesus. What are you waiting on? Go to the back and say to the next step, volunteers, I need to be baptized. Can I schedule that? And they'll take care of all those details. Maybe you need to join a life group in our church. Get into a Christian community where other people are doing life together. We're not perfect. We're far from it. But community is important. Go to the next step area. Let us help you. Maybe you want to know more about giving today or whatever it is. We've got volunteers who are ready to help you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for what we've been able to do in just singing our praise to you. Thank you for what we've seen today in this beautiful baptism. Father, we thank you for what we've heard from your word that reminds us to not put our trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. God, thank you that we don't have to just listen to this message. You're calling us to act on your word, to do something about what we've heard. And whatever that decision is to take that next step in each one of these people's hearts, I pray that they would be found faithful to take it, to be saved, to be baptized, to get into a life group, to volunteer to serve, to give to the Her Song offering, or to just begin giving to your work through this church on a regular basis, or to maybe set a percentage of their income that they want to start setting aside for you, that they would start today by making that commitment of what that percentage would be for them. Father, I thank you for the 
the way your Holy Spirit is going to lead us and guide us in these next few moments because this is the most important time of this service where we now choose to either obey what your Holy Spirit and your word have told us or to reject it. And I pray, Father, you'll find us faithful in this very moment. And it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.